big breath in. And then you go. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo-ho! Welcome to episode 69 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's breathing. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist. And another quick review to start off today from Todd Howman, five stars. I stumbled upon this, and I must say I've been missing out for quite some time. As an elite-level competitive cyclist, I find the podcast very informative. I look forward to it each week. Keep up the good work, Damien Todd, USA. Well, Todd, thank you for taking the time out to write that review. I really do appreciate it. And yes, you have been missing out for quite some time. So make sure you tell as many people as possible so we can spread the word further. And just a reminder to you that if you do like the show, please take some time out to write a review because it really does rock my shizniz. Okay, thank you very much. And the news this week, well, a couple of articles as per the last couple of weeks. And the first one is from the blog at trainingpeaks.com. And it is all about how long do you need a coach for? Really, a standard response from a coach is as long as possible. Well, at least earlier than you got to me because you're in your middle of your race season and you should have got to me in the off season where I can build the most fitness. But aside from that, there are some very interesting points that are made in this blog post when it comes to why you should have a coach basically all year round. And that won't make a lot of sense for everybody. For those people that do like having a coach or feel that a coach would be better for them, then definitely check out the article. It'll give you an idea of what a coach can offer you at different stages in your season. The second one is from the Bulletproof Exec. I don't know if you know about this guy. I've been listening to him on and off for the last couple of years. He is very alternative with his health views and he does back up a lot of stuff with little studies here and there. But I got to say, overall, I don't feel a lot of his stuff. I would say there are only two or three of his podcasts that I've really, really got into. And this is definitely one of them. Three Hacking Fatigue with Tim Noakes plus more for our body fun. Tim Noakes, I have slightly touched on him in the past. He is the business as far as someone that has added so much to the sports science community. You've got to check him out talking about the central governor theory in this podcast. It is super interesting. If you haven't been exposed to this before, then I definitely recommend checking it out. It is one of those things that may change the whole way that you think about your performance. So have a listen to that. Another one, if you want to dig a little deeper into some other stuff, is the one that he did with K-Star, Kelly Starrett from Mobility Wad. But you know I'm a fanboy of that guy. Also, Melbourne, Sunday, the 10th of November. That is this Sunday. If you are interested, I am around and I would love to meet up. I will organize a spot for lunch. I don't have a bike. I was thinking about taking one down, but it's just going to be too much of a hassle, which is a bit of a bummer. But if you just want to meet and greet and say hello, then definitely get in contact and we will find each other this Sunday and someone can show me some of Melbourne's finest hipster spots. 
Alrighty, the nuts and bolts this week, next level tech, a peek into cutting edge pro technology. I always kind of keep my finger on the pulse with anyone that's doing this stuff. There is not a lot of information that comes out there, so I've kind of distilled what I found over the last few months as to some interesting things that are going on, but specifically in a couple of areas, but I'll get to that in a moment. Overall, I really feel that we're at an interesting transition from old world to new world, and I don't know whether this is the reduction of the amount of drugs and pharmaceuticals or just that stuff is going away so it has to be replaced by something else to try and get the edge over the next person possibly because training has kind of reached its capacity i did hear the other day in a discussion that people are coming to the conclusion that the physical limit is starting to be reached and so you've now got to start looking in other areas to get any type of advantage and if it's not pharmaceutical or drug related then it has to be all this other stuff and what is the other stuff i'm talking about the science relating to topology aerodynamic drag biomechanics those type of things that have really been to the forefront of our mind by probably team sky but they're talking a realm of just specialists over the last few years there has been a couple of guys that have popped up that are really generalists people like dr alan lim are a perfect example of an exercise physiologist that covers a lot of other ground from just straight up coaching to nutrition and definitely everything else in between that has an effect on performance he is probably all over it other super gurus like garmin's aerodynamic sports scientist robbie kachel are changing the way each part of cycling is dissected and put back together vorders is quoted as saying i would put my hand in the fire on this one i can guarantee that robbie has produced more marginal gains in one person than sky's entire marginal gains team has in many years i've never met anybody as smart as him whether that's a competitive brag or not It's really interesting that Ketchell and Lim are these solo dudes that are changing the way that we all look at the sport. And whilst the traditionalist in me can only cringe at the awkward conversations these guys are having or even the strange looks from the Euro teams, there is no doubt that they're getting the job done of winning races and these methods are contributing heavily. So nothing is out of bounds when it comes to this stuff. And with someone that has the confidence and the knowledge and the skills to pull off all new ways of structuring rider seasons and charting wind patterns and all these random things that you just don't think about are we in danger of letting this sink into the semi-pro community i really think it's going to come down eventually Um, other questions that i like asking are is this just another form of doping i kind of touched on that will the technological advantage of this only go to a few only go to the ones that either have the money or the knowledge Will it spread down and will it get to us as semi-pros? Those questions, while they're interesting to ask, I don't think they're the right ones that semi-pros should be asking. Our sport is not the same as the pros, and so there are different motivations and even different race styles and types of racing that we have to consider. So I think the question we should be asking is, how can we use these ideas in our own riding? And one such idea that links up to this, and it's really something fascinating that Robbie Cachell is working on, is the idea of the durable cyclist. So a cyclist that is very durable and this is directed by data you can maintain a high level of performance day after day after day because you have the data to support any changing situations that come into their life so you can define this as how you perform on a day-to-day basis how you recover how you cover the obstacles that you encounter whether that's aerodynamics crashes unlucky events or being in a breakaway physiological durability is such a significant factor in order for a rider to be able to perform 
on a day-to-day basis, and this covers individual areas of training and cycling that I have definitely covered in detail. But taking a step back and looking how you are able to perform in all of these different factors and obstacles in front of you, it's hard to quantify, but it is coming. And that's where these super smart guys are actually starting to make some headway in getting to a place where they can predict certain things in the future. Of course, You can't predict certain obstacles because they are uncontrollable circumstances. Things like crashes, flat tires, dropping a chain. This is kind of why we love cycling in the first place, right? Because it's so unpredictable. Anything can happen and it's always going to happen in an environment that is dictated by weather and other people and different surfaces and crazy psychos on the side of the road. How can you predict any guy in speedos running on the side of a hill? You can't, you don't know what he's going to do. If you can fit all of these crazy things into some type of mathematical equation and plan for it, then I really think you're going to do well in cycling because it's really making the gray black and white. But you can't. I don't believe you can predict for all of it, but I do think that these things are interrelated in some ways because you could have a mechanical failure that causes a flat tire or the peloton is going to split and you're in the wrong position. You can analyze the uncontrollable and predicted, things like crashes, and you can learn from these, how your body responds, what happens afterwards, so that you're prepared for the next set of circumstances when they come around. It's about being able to bounce back or even feed off these events, and being durable is being able to overcome all of these uncontrollable situations and still perform well. I hope I haven't lost you yet by combining these two ideas, but really this sums it all up. Empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Now you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. So Bruce Lee here, he's talking about being able to adapt and shape, being like water, and in order to get the most out of yourself in all these crazy situations, this is what you're going to have to do, but the data is coming, and it's going to point you in a direction that can help you with any of these outlier events. There is uh, something else I was working on, but it started to get too complicated, and it's this idea of being anti-fragile, which is the opposite of fragile. It means that you actually thrive from situations that are uncontrolled, or you can't predict. Something like Nibbly crashing, I know his personality is very forward and he's quite aggressive in his riding, but him crashing in the world's race and the way that he came back, could he have done that well? I know he didn't win, but could he have done that well if he didn't crash? Would he have that hunger inside him to go and attack from the front? Something inside of me says, yes, he would have, but if this was another rider that reacted a different way, but it amped them up and got them ready to actually attack, and they knew they had enough reserve within them to go through and do this type of stuff once they hit the bunch and attack and get in front of them, then... I see that as a good thing. This is kind of what I'm talking about, but I'm going to get into a little bit of nitty gritty here and give you two examples of being durable in uncontrollable situations. And the first one is crashes and the second one is weather. Gathering data before, during and after uncontrollable situations is changing the way pros race and prepare for races. So let's dig a little bit deeper to see what's going on behind the scenes of your average pro race. First, starting with crashing. And sadly, yes, crashing is a common hazard of racing. Sometimes you crash and you're on your back and then you're on your feet 
and you don't even know it's happened. So you're just off and away. But racing requires an intense amount of mental concentration. So no matter how good you are at getting within centimeters of other people at 50 or 60 kilometers an hour, you can never, ever 100% trust the person in front of you and trust that they're going to do exactly what you expect. Unexpected physical impact is not something that the body takes lightly and sometimes the way it deals with everything that just happened is to delay the reaction until you're partway through getting back into the race. A crash will knock you down but you have to be able to assess the damage and make a recovery and it's not always physically evident what the real effect of the crash is and there's no way to measure the stress and concern that is experienced when crashing. Analyzing a data file from the race you can show how the effects of the chase back after the crash and the knock itself hinder performance. And now I think this is super exciting. Yes, it's going to have more implications for someone in a long stage race, but definitely for you personally, if you crash in a race and you want to know how affected you are, especially not just from the crash itself, but from the chase back and how much you have and basically what you have left. So you would know in a race where to hide and protect yourself and pretty much how much energy you have for the last attack or sprint or wherever you're going to try and win the race. But if you crashed, knowing how much energy that takes away from you, so if you're talking in terms of matches, knowing how how many matches you've burnt because of that crash, that puts you in a better place if you get back into the bunch and you're still vying for a top three or the win. So, So an analysis where it's possible to track the impact of a crash throughout the entire race, something that someone looking in from the outside would perhaps have no concept of previously, and this adds up to a rare and detailed insight into what a crash does to a rider's performance. So until recently, the technology hasn't existed to communicate what is really happening in a race. So being able to get technology amongst the riders and even on the bikes is finally opening up an entirely new world of communication where not only the viewer can be taken closer to the action, but the athlete themselves can view physical effects of what has happened to them. There is currently only a post-race analysis that can be done when you have a look at this. And there is a great example done on a website called iPerformance.net. I'll put a link in the show notes. If you scroll down at the bottom of the page and you look for the PDFs, it's in the Tour of Britain 2011 where they follow a rider that crashed in Stage 3. But if you have a look at his performance in Stage 4, they break it down into individual intervals of effort that he had to do during the race, what he was actually capable of based on his threshold, but how the effort to get back into the race after his crash the day before affected him and whether he could make the small sustained efforts to keep away which they estimated at about a minute of effort to get in a breakaway and keep away where he tried to do that but he couldn't actually hold those minutes so that was the effect of the crash the previous day and if you just go through the entire tour through these pdfs you'll be able to see this analysis so if that was able to be given to a rider and a manager you know or yourself while you are on the road, then you would definitely be in a better position when the race comes to the final stages and you're looking to sprint or attack. The other interesting thing that's going on is the weather. Now, I have spoken about looking at the weather when you're putting a race plan, a race plan together or you're actually assessing a course and your ability and what you need to do. But They're taking it one step further, these guys, and teams are now planning very early for race days. So if you're looking at the announcement that we just had of the 2014 tour, you would have teams now plotting and charting wind patterns every single day for certain stages in the tour, and they're looking at the last 20 years. They're looking at that time of year. They're looking at the time frame within the race. So you're examining minute-by-minute data to figure out if that would help 
make a small gain. So an example for this would be if there's a team time trial and the wind dies down in the afternoon, then what you're looking at the stage is going up to the team's time trial. If you want to be in the afternoon, you have to be up the front of the GC. Your team has to perform the days before you actually get to that team time trial to put yourself in a position where you're racing in the afternoon when the wind is lower. So this is the type of thinking that's actually going on now in a bigger way. But how can we distill this down for a semi-pro? It's really more about these minute ways that you can think about taking weather data. And if there was some way to wrap up nicely the weather data so you don't have to go and do this all manually, figuring out when to race, when you can attack different positions of the race, it could really affect your entire race. So it's just the next level and a continuation of a more detailed race plan Of course, it's only the pros that are full-time, that have a guide doing this, that give them advice. But if there was some other way that it could be simplified, I definitely think there's advantages for semi-pros taking approaches like this. Now, it may get too far, but really, how do they collect this data? Because this data, along with field tests of the weather at the actual race venues themselves really affects aerodynamics and equipment choice, and it's getting really, really serious. As Simone Ticofondi, I've butchered that, he's a specialized racing manager, and he explains the link to F1 in this clip. We're still aiming to become a technological partner of our teams. So instead of offering just a a bike, we want to offer the know-how on how this bike can be used at its best uh, to create the better better performance. And, you know, gathering information also to recycle basically information that goes back to the R&D to create even a better ride. It's actually started, you know, uh, with this vision and then, of course, we needed some instruments uh, to go create instruments. You know, you probably have only one way to get really the top-notch and uh, super high technical um, uh, elements that you would need to gather uh, kind of difficult information uh, and so uh, I have a lot of friends in Formula One so driver former drivers and that actually are well introduced into cycling and they introduced me to to kind of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people and engineers and we and actually thanks to one engineer specifically we crafted this this system and um, and of course, you know, we have a lot of other inspirations that come from the relationship we have with McLaren and, uh, and so on. So that is serious business and specialized, megalized, you know, they're a big business. And now they're stepping into the technology world. It's danger time for any other companies that aren't playing this game. And here's Chris D'Alucio, specialized advanced R&D engineer, explaining part of the technology that they've actually come up with. Today we're looking at Evelyn Stevens from Lululemon Specialized, her race bike for uh, World Championships uh, time trial. And on, on Evelyn's bike today, we have the Specialized B-Box, which is a data acquisition system, um, collecting data to help us uh, determine uh, the best equipment and best strategy for Evelyn um, in her race today. This is the box. This is not the normal location. Uh, this is the antenna that we pick up data, and we, can, we are watching her live, um, both her power, speed, um, and direction, and uh, lean angle. Uh, This is the uh, ride sensor. These are lasers that point up to Evelyn's chest and to her chin, and we can see uh, her attitude 
and if she's low or high compared to the optimum position. We can see if she's breaking to come into a corner or in the optimum position on the straightaway. Here we have a yaw sensor. We can see Evelyn's um, attitude in the corner if she's making one nice turn or making multiple corrections in the turn. We can help her um, smooth that out with, with practicing today. And that'll be the main objective of, of today's ride is to help her find a very smooth and uh, accurate line. So you're shooting freaking laser beams from a bike into your body to figure out where your positioning is. Now, that sounds pretty crazy to me, but I'm sure it's been happening for a little while. It's like the next evolution. A couple of years ago, Garmin's Robbie Kachel actually developed what he calls the bat box, and this is his explanation of what that does. There are a number of ways that we can measure aerodynamic drag. One of them is by using a wind tunnel in a laboratory setting, and a number a different way is by uh, doing field measurements. And so we've developed a device called uh, the Bat Box, which um, stands for Biomechanical and Aerodynamic Technologies. And so this device has uh, different sensors in it that can measure wind direction, wind speed, and air density. So the Bat Box allows us to make changes to equipment and uh, the body position on the bike to see uh, if we can improve the aerodynamic resistance. So as explained, the bat box contains several sensors, including differential pressure sensors to gauge wind and speed, as well as a humidistat, temperature gauge, and barometer. If you know these three parameters, you can calculate air density. And if you know that the wind speed, and if you know, and if you know that and wind speed, you can calculate relative velocity, which is the rider's actual speed plus the force of the headwind, even from a side angle the rider is fighting against. Three-dimensional tilt sensors counteract bike sway and account for wind angle, which in Kitchell's case, it's about 40 bucks worth of components slapped together, but the magic is in an algorithm that he wrote to analyze this data, and this is somewhat similar to the way iBike does certain things. I'm not really over iBike's application outside of producing power based on different metrics, but it's definitely an interesting take to be able to gather this data connected to the weather data and make decisions on equipment based on that. And I definitely see applications for the semi-pro from this type of thing, which the amazing thing about what these systems actually do, or specifically what Kitchell's system does, is that it adds past data to its memory and it can learn from experience. So it's a feedback system and an artificial neural network. Rather than hand code what a 30 mile an hour gust of wind from minus 7 degrees yaw does to the sensors and you have to try and anticipate and code every condition possible which is like 30 miles an hour at minus 6 and minus 8 and so on, the system inputs data as it happens in real time. So on download the algorithm registers it as a new event and then adds it to the system memory, constructing an ever more detailed model of real-world conditions to edit out the noise. And so the result is a real-world wind tunnel. A lot of people actually complain about wind tunnels that they aren't real-world enough, if that makes any sense. But a system like this can collect data not only based on conditions and based on the way the rider is pushing, but the individual rider themselves and their preferences and the way that they adjust to the different conditions and then how you get the best out of those people. Aerodynamics can be changed out by doing these field tests and other equipment changes. So a couple of interesting things that he has actually learned from this is that the angle of the wind changes far more frequently than anyone thought. Rapidly shifting conditions 
can be in the space of a couple of kilometers and could veer from plus 10 to minus 5 degree wind angle without even gusts or true changes in overall wind direction. So this is the minute detail that they're getting into here where you just look on your typical weather app and you see a wind direction, there can be all these minor changes happening within that because the sensors that are picking that up for the weather stations aren't accurate enough and can't pick up exactly where the rider is. The benefit of this is it really looks after the small changes that a rider makes, like moving his legs side to side, which definitely has an effect on the way that the rider's aerodynamics going through these different your angles of the wind is concerned. But given that a rider breaking his aerodynamic position to reach for a water bottle affects aerodynamics, the box itself might tell them if there's a particularly good time to do that, which for example may be below a certain speed when he has less of an impact on aerodynamics. So in conclusion, I know there's not a lot that you can take from this episode. I really just want to get your juices flowing. I want to get the idea that the more detail that we can extract from any of these situations outside of just the bike rider training, the more possibility that it will help us make decisions that ultimately lead us to do better in races. So the conclusion for me is whether you think that these advancements are good for the sport or not, you can't help but admire the way that these guys are looking into getting a jump on the competition. I'm personally all for it and I can't wait for the applications to trickle down into the semi-pro realm because like I've kind of touched on, imagine an app that's calculated the predicted wind for your favorite race or a sensor kit that beeps every time you drop out of your aero position. Now, the tech hacks and product section, and speaking of sensors that beeps, or in this case, buzz every time you drop out of a position, let me introduce to you a product called the Lumo Back. The Lumo Back is a strap that goes on your back that delivers real-time feedback, which empowers you to make small incremental changes to your position, and so it has an impact on your overall body posture. So it lets you actually visualize your body posture in real time to help you make posture-perfect corrections. This is super important because I don't know how many of you are chair-bound for so many hours of the day. The actual app that comes along with this product also gives you daily metrics of how your posture score is, how much you sit down, how much you stand up, your total steps, and your sleep time. So something like this is so important to actually quantify how much you sit down and when you're sitting down, how good your posture is and it keeps you in check. I know we all slump after a certain time. There is certain ways that you should be sitting down to protect your back over the long term. It's the way that you set up everything and that setup flows down to things like all of your biomechanics, your mobility, it all works in because remember, anything you do is going to affect your cycling because you can't turn it off. And so having something simple like this that buzzes every time you drop out of position is not only going to help you with your health, but I believe it will help you with your performance as well. Now, the quote from the top of the show, did you guess it? Do you know this guy's accent? It's Graham Obrey demonstrating his breathing technique. It would have been probably pretty hard to pick up his accent. So I'm going to play it for you in full so you get to understand the context that that first quote was from. The training manual covers a lot of stuff. For example, how to eat, how to stretch, what training to do. But it also covers breathing, which is a good example of there's the standard way, which is obviously having those breathing in and out rhythmically, or different breathing techniques. But I've de- developed my own technique, 
which is a three-phase technique to try and increase the oxygen uptake for the least amount of effort. That entails shifting the emphasis from breathing in to breathing out. It's our natural reaction. If, you, if you're drowning, your natural reaction is to breathe in. But the most important thing about breathing is actually breathing out. The reason being that in an athlete, if you're breathing heavily in and out, rhythmically, even a trained athlete, that the, the air content, the oxygen content of the air will be about 14 to 16%. Now the atmospheric content is 21%. Now at the, towards the end of a breath, breathing rhythmically, 14% is a severe loss of oxygen. So if you breathe the bad air out, now bearing in mind even a trained athlete breathing rhythmically as best they can, they're only breathing one third of the lung capacity out to breathe one third to mix with the bad air again. So the emphasis in my breathing technique is breathe, try and breathe about two thirds of that air out, which is realistically possible without going <laughs> okay, It's basically breathe a lot more out than you normally would and breathe a bit deeper than you would. Now you can't do that for every breath, so you do a wee half breath out and then back in, and a wee half breath out and back in. <sighs> Big breath in, and then you go <sighs> back out again. So you're basically getting rid of the bad air, bringing a whole lot of good air back in, keeping your lungs a bit more open than they would be, because the more open your lung is, then the more gas exchange takes place. So you're using the best possible amount of air, with the best oxygen content for the longest time, and then just get rid of that bad air again. That is the three-phase breathing technique, which I then went and tested instantly, as soon as I've formulated it. I tested a two-phase technique and a four-phase technique, but the three phases was the one that turned out to be the best one that I thought was the best one in terms of performance. This and more is in The Obreeway, the training manual for cyclists. He is an interesting bloke. I'm not sure if I'd take his advice, but it's definitely worth investigating further if something like this sounds interesting to you. And if you're going to give this a try, let me know how it goes because I'm interested in these small things and I've been getting into breathing lately thanks to my buddy from superhumanpursuits.com, which I've had on the show before. But breathing is one of the most basic things you can do to increase your performance. And this technique, it is unproven for me, but I'm interested to see how you go with it. But that is it this week from me. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. Empty your mind, be formless, shapeless, like water, like water. can crash. Be water, my friend. Empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Water can flow, or it can crash. Empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Be water, my friend. Running water never goes stale. So you gotta just keep on flowing. Keep on just keep on flowing. You have to train. You have to keep your reflexes so that when you want it, it's there. When you want to move, you're moving. I mean, you gotta put the whole hip into it. Snap, snap, become one with the beat. 
You better train every part of your body. I mean, you gotta put your whole hip into it. Snap, snap. You better train, become one. You Continuing growth, process of continuing empty your mind before change. 